Well, I would invite you, uh, if you have your Bibles, to, to turn to the, the book of Acts. Um, again, we are continuing our, our series uh, for a few more weeks. We'll be here, and then we'll, we'll take, hit the pause button again <clears throat> and take a good break until, um, until next, next year sometime we'll jump back in. So <clears throat> we want to take our time and, and really process and try to not take too much on at once because I think it's so important uh, to go deep into the scripture and because there's so much there and uh, just take our time unpacking. But today uh, we're going to be in, in chapter 11 and, um, you know, Pastor Tony handed out some books earlier and, and how many people love to read? How many people love books? How many people prefer books over the digital version? It's something about the paper, right, in your hands and just kind of, you know, I don't know if you see people like smelling an old book or something like that. There's something about it. Um, and, you know, books to us and in our time, obviously, are, are super accessible, aren't they? You don't really have to search high and low for a, a book. You can find a book anywhere. You probably have a few, hopefully have a few in your home. Uh, some of you are holding, again, your physical Bible today in your hands. And, and that is something that is truly a, a gift. And, you know, we just need to remember at times, though, again, as we approach Scripture and we're reading these accounts in the Scriptures, that uh, we want to put ourselves in that setting. It's so important to, again, pause and really understand what was going on, what it looked like. <clears throat> and again, for, for the, the early church, they didn't have what you have in your hand, did they? <laughs> the complete big picture, how it all works out in the end. And they really didn't have, I mean, they didn't have books either, you know. You know, at that time, <clears throat> they had, um, again, what was called papyrus. And again, papyrus were typically scrolls. It comes from the, what's called the papyrus plant. And the insides would be kind of gutted out of that plant and put together, and they dry, and then they hammer them down flat. And they would actually write, you know, that's what they would write all their script on. And, you know, there's, uh, there's they say that probably the longest papyrus would be right around 35 feet or so, which actually about the width of this community house is how long you would roll that papyrus out, right? Now, can you imagine kind of, you know, you're in a hurry, you got to leave, you're like, hang on, give me a second, you know, and you start rolling, and you got to roll it all the way up. <clears throat> Sorry, I think this will work out eventually. I'm just, okay, one's uncovered, so let me get the other one. <clears throat> Hopefully it's not the same water that's been there <clears throat> for a couple weeks. Um, but you roll that up, you know, and you would take that, you know, with you, but they, not everybody had access to those, not everybody uh, would, would be able to see those, and if you did, it was obviously a very special thing. But here, as, again, as we're reading the book of Acts, and again, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, um, and, and when we read it, we need to understand that if, if there's a, something that's repeated, it's obviously pretty important, Right? If there's something that he's going to take the time and take the space, because again, they say that the book of Acts would have probably fit on one of these rolls that goes across this room. And so, you know, that, that's quite a bit of paper, we would say, or quite a, quite a bit of writing space, but in the, you know, the grand scheme of it all, it's, 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 you're limited. You want to be very particular about what you're going to put down. And what we're going to look at today, it's going to feel very much like a repeat of last week, because Luke is going to kind of recount what happened? How many were here last week or watched online? Okay, a few people. So if you were here and, you know, or you remember, you know, we talked about, again, when the Gentiles, you know, the Holy Spirit descended and they received Christ. And, again, the, the good news of the gospel. And the, the, the Holy Spirit came to the Gentiles and, and the Gentiles kind of were, were then brought into the flock. We are Gentiles. And that was our kind of our beginning, really. 
And so, you know, again, this, this is going to be a kind of a retelling as, as Luke has returned to Jerusalem and now is going to give an account. And my concern today for us is I don't want you to check out, right? Like, oh, yeah, here we go. I remember this from last week. Because I think there's, there's some, some significant points that are going to come out in this. And, you know, one of the things I want you to pay attention to is we're going to read here beginning in verse 1 in just a moment. But I want you to pay attention to how his brothers in Christ respond to the news of the Gentiles coming to faith, okay? And, and we'll kind of, I'm just going to leave that there and we'll kind of unpack that in just a moment. So again, if, you, if you're in chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it reads, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Again, so they'd, they'd heard the news, and so they're kind of waiting for Peter's return, right? It seems they, they, they know that it's coming. Verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party celebrated. Is that what it says? What does it say? It criticized, right? What a great way to start out. Welcome home, Peter. Uh, they, they criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Verse 4, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. <clears throat> and I remembered the word of the Lord, how it said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, so much for your word. God, I thank you. Again, the fact that, uh, that you sent, Lord, your son for the Gentiles as well. And God, that the good news of the gospel, when it reached Cornelius' home, Lord God, it began, Lord, um, just something that would take a hold and, and really take the world by storm. And we sit here today as, as fruit of that, Lord God, as a result of that. And so, God, we are so grateful that, um, again, you gave us that opportunity, Lord to be counted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so, God, we thank you again for what you would have in store. We ask you to open our hearts to hear, Lord, what you have uh, for us today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. amen. <clears throat> so 
you know, again, in life, I think sometimes things do bear repeating, don't they? Um, again, some of you may be familiar. I think most of you know I, I used to, to be in the aviation maintenance world. And one of the things I had to do was when I was here was um, take my AMP a license. It's an FAA license to be able to work on large aircraft, okay? And what I did is I went to a school that, it's a two-week school, and it's kind of, they call it, for lack of a better term, a crash course. <laughs> Just, I don't know who came up with that one, but anyway. Um, but it's a very intense course, two weeks long, and what it is is you have to take, uh, you study and you have to take and pass a written test, an oral test, and then a practical test, a hands-on test, okay? And the written test, the whole first week, all you do is you go to class all day, and then you go back to your hotel room and you sit there and you go through and for, there's like three parts to the written test. Each one is probably around 200 or so questions that you have to know the answers to, right? Now they are multiple choice and what they teach you though is that you go through and you read the question and you highlight the answer, right? Read the question, then highlight the next answer and you go through the whole book until you've highlighted all the, the right answers and then that's what you study. You read the question, and you read the right answer. You don't look at the wrong answers. And it's amazing because a lot of people, and myself included, you kind of want to buck that a little bit, right? Like you want to kind of, no, I've got my own study ways and stuff like this. But it actually works. I mean, because what happens is over time, your mind will kick into gear and you'll be able to pick out that, that answer. Like as soon as you see it on the page, you're like, oh, that's the one that goes with this question. But it was, it was so repetitious. You know, I can't tell you how many times you know, you're reading, you just kind of like, I would just fall asleep. It's just me in my hotel room. And you just kind of fall asleep with a book and you just wake back up and keep going because it, it gets monotonous, it gets boring. And I don't know if you've you know, had to study for anything or if you've had to do things over. We do it with our kids a lot, right? You know, we repeat things over and over and over and soon you begin to remember things, right? And so, again, that's something just to, to think about as, as you know, we look at today and you know, this, this repetition because, again, we can really take in a lot from it and we can learn a lot. Um, again, a lot of ways, a recap, this, this, this passage helps us appreciate how important it was that the early church understood the scope of God's salvation, right? That, that this, this idea that God, you know, he did not come just for one or two people or a select group. He came for all people. And that is a, a, a message for us today that really gives us something to celebrate, doesn't it? I'll tell you, you know, when we're outside, when we have the services outside, I don't, we don't get to hear the voices quite like we do in here, do we? But today there's just something beautiful about the sound of God's church and the, and the people raising their voices as we worship this morning. And, you know, that's something that's just so incredible and it's such a great reminder that we're not alone, that we're in this together. And when we, when we, we, we walk this out together, God can do amazing things. And so, you know, that's something, again, as we look at this, we see how God is working and bringing all things about and all God's people together. And so, you know, Peter here, is, as we see, he was, he was not a fool at all. And when he, well, by this point, <laughs> when he started, you know, that could probably, there's probably a pretty good case there, right? He's like, yeah, I don't know if I'd take that to court. But, um, but speaking of court, it's kind of interesting you know, in that time, you know, if you, if you caught that in verse 12 of, of chapter 11, it says that, Peter says, you know, these six brothers accompanied me, right? Now, you can read that and be like, okay, so he's got six buddies there or six guys that, you know, accompanied him to Cornelius' home. But the interesting fact is, is, as I was studying this, I was not, I, I think I'd heard this before, but it brought back to my memory that um, at that time, 
All right? In the law, it required seven witnesses to establish truth in, in any kind of a, a court case or whatever. Seven witnesses. Well, Pastor Dell, he brought six friends. Well, don't forget about Peter. <laughs> six plus one is seven. And so it's just really interesting that Peter had the foresight that he brought those six brothers in Christ with him because he knew <laughs> that this was real and what was happening and what God was doing, and that at some point he was going to have to go back to Jerusalem and give an account of what had happened. And he's thinking to himself, There's, these guys are going to have a hard time accepting. You know, my Jewish brothers are, are going to have a hard time accepting what God is doing. And again, that's not, a, that's not a, a dig on them. It's just they had been taught, you know, the Jewish people had been taught uh, by the rabbis, a certain way of thinking. And so it was very hard. And we talked on that a little bit last week, how, you know, let's not be too judgy here because they had been ingrained. This had been ingrained in their life. They lived their entire lives according to Jewish law. And so, you know, here Peter, again, uh, had the foresight to bring them. And, you know, in verses 2 and 3, as we read earlier, you know, so when Peter got home, it says the circumcision party criticized him. Criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, you know, you think, I don't know if you've ever had, like, really awesome, like, news or you're really excited about something, um, and then you run home or you, you go to somebody and you, you want to tell them about it, right? And, you know, you come in and you're like, hey, da da da, -da this is, and they're like, Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Hey, you know, there's this guy Santa Claus or something. You know, oh, I, sorry, I won't go there. But, the, but you know, you, you have some exciting news and somebody kind of, you, you know, you ever heard of like dream squashers? Yeah? Anybody, you know, just, yeah, just stay here. And, you know, the, the thing is, you know, there's people in our lives that, you know, God gives us something or we had this great idea or this next, you know, thing and, you know, you, you kind of throw it out there. You know, you go to the scripture talking about casting your pearls before swine, right? You know, and you put it out there, and they're just like, oh, that won't work. You're crazy. That's, you know, that's not going to ever happen. And, you know, that, that kind of thing, that's sort of what I see here. And it's funny that, again, Peter is, is like kind of, you know, they'd gotten word that, that God had moved and met, you know, the Gentiles where they were. And they lead with... You went to an uncircumcised man's home and ate with them. That was like the most important thing, that you ate in, a, in an uncircumcised person's home. And so they're, they're really missing kind of the big picture here, right? <laughs> and again, as we look at these things, let's not sit back and say, these people are, I would never have done anything. Like, I would have been the one there say, Peter, oh, yeah, that's awesome, the Gentiles. Welcome to the club, Right? We all would have done that, I'm sure, if we had been there. But no, they're, they're, they're struggling, right? They, they just like, ah, that's not right. And so, you know, as we look at this, we, we, we need to see, though, that this passage does give us something. It, it provides something for us, and it's, it's a good lesson of how to respond to criticism. Because most people here look like we've been around for a minute, right? And you have probably been criticized for something at some point in your life. And if you've lived out your faith in a way that people can recognize, whether it's what you, have, what you say or how you live your life, how you choose to live your life, I'm sure that you have at some point received some criticism. 
Maybe it was somebody that was mocking you. Maybe it was somebody, you know, that just wanted to poke fun at you just because, you know, you, you bring your Bible or, or you're reading your Bible on your break or something like that. And so we all, we all endure criticism. And I think here we can really see and learn and glean something from Peter's example. You know, it's one thing to receive criticism from outside of this group. But if you've been in the church long enough, you realize that sometimes and maybe oftentimes we can even face criticism from within the church itself, right? And that hurts a bit, doesn't it? It hurts a bit. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, we just don't expect. You know, we want to gather here. We feel like, you know, this is a place that we can be ourselves, that we can do, do what we do. Yet there's times when we, we can be criticized from within the church. And so, you know, again, for Peter, not, he seemed like he understood that that something opposition, opposition was going to come. But I'm sure it just didn't feel good when his brothers in Christ, right, the guys that he kind of, you know, were, was pioneering the early church with, all of a sudden were criticizing him for his actions. And so, you know, again, we need to, we can look at that and I think we can glean some things. Now, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, before we're too harsh on his buddies, <clears throat> at that time, the rabbis were teaching some crazy things, <clears throat> right? It, was, it wasn't just things that God had said or, or whatever. Sometimes the rabbis were adding to, um, for example, like if your clothes touched a Gentile, you were considered unclean or defiled, right? Nowhere in scripture does it say that. God hadn't commanded them to do that, but they kept like adding two things, right? They kept adding to it to the point where a Jewish person would kind of have to grab their robes and kind of walk down the street and try to avoid any, any Gentile that might be because they would be considered unclean just by touching a person. Rabbis would even go as far as to say that Gentiles were created to keep hell hot. <laughs> like, who... Who comes up with these things, right? But I mean, you know, the people would follow and they're like, it's a mentality, right? And we're all capable to fall into that trap, aren't we? To look at other people as less than, whatever the whatever circumstance, you know, whether it's, it's race, it's economics, whatever, you know, we can, if we're not careful, we can fall into that, can't we? And so again, being taught from a young age, this is what they were taught. Gentiles, bad, no good, worthless. But it was not biblical teaching, it was not godly teaching. You know, I was reminded as, as you know, I was looking at this of, if you remember the, the prodigal son, right? And if you remember that account, and when he comes home and his, his father is like looking on the horizon for him and he runs to meet him, right? I mean, it's just, he has this huge celebration and the elder brother is still out in the field, right? And in Luke 15, we can pick up that, that account, beginning in verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son, his brother, was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. And they're like, your brother is back. He was told, and your, and your, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The problem... <laughs> was that he got angry about that, right? He got angry, and to the point where, again, he, he was looking, and he's like, what about me? And, you know, and the father comes out to meet him, and he, he pleads with him, come inside, and he's like, you know, it's all about himself, and he's angry that his brother who was lost had come home. 
And that is, is, is kind of a snapshot of the mentality we see really happening here. And it shows us, too, that, you know, how we choose to respond to something is critical, right? And maybe you've heard this in your life, you know, maybe you haven't. But most of the things that we deal with, it, it comes from how we choose to respond. Right? If something bad happens to us, the way that we choose to respond really has an effect or has a, an impact on how things are going to go from that point, Right? And a lot of times we can compound our situation and make it much worse if we choose to act in a way that's, that's not right and that's not godly. People are watching us. Sometimes people are baiting us, aren't they? Let's kind of poke the Christian, you know, and as soon as you lose your cool for a second, they're like, aha! Where's Jesus now? You know, where's the, the love, you know, love everybody and, and all this kind of stuff. Where's the grace at? And so, again, you know, people are watching us, and how we respond is, is critical. And so looking at Peter's response is, is also just critical for us today. You know, it can be so easy to criticize someone or something before we have taken time to process it and ponder what God might, might be up to, right? Even that most difficult person, a lot of times if you stop and you pause and, or you try to kind of engage and, and, and sometimes try to get to understand the situation, you'll discover that there's a reason why they're acting the way they're acting. You know, I've talked to people and one person, you know, I remember in just, you know, speaking to him and he was just this really upset, angry person. And then, you know, I kept trying to engage him, and finally, you know, we had a moment where we sort of broke past the surface, and, you know, you start to hear, like, the story of his being brought up and a lot of the struggles that he had faced. And you begin to be like, okay, you know, I can see why you're a little salty. And so, and you start to see the person come out. And so we really got to make sure, again, we move slowly. Some of you folks have, have been around, and myself, and I'm not too far behind, but have been around for a minute. But do you, in, in, with Christian music, does anybody remember uh, the Jesus music movement? Anybody in here? Okay. So, you know, it was a, a definite movement in the early 70s. And, you know, it, it was a movement that the majority of the church did not really welcome with open arms. Like, electric guitar. I mean, Luke would have, it wouldn't have gone well this morning, man, you know? And, you know, and it, and it was, it was the, these things, these songs, and, you know, there was a definite pushback. And, and if that was you, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want you to feel whatever you're feeling this morning. I, I, I just want to say, though, that it, it must have been hard, I can imagine, because it was change. It was different. It was something that was not kind of the norm, Right? And so what happened is there was this big pushback, this condemning, but then what people started to see, and if you talk to people who really came out of the Jesus movement, uh, the Jesus music movement, you know, this music was reaching beyond the four walls of the church buildings. It was reaching people far away from God, and they were coming in, and they were coming into relationship with God. And so, you know, we saw this, uh, the, this thing taking place. Uh, people like Larry Norman, Keith Green, Chuck Gerard, Randy Stonehill, Brian McLean. If you've ever heard of any of those people, you know, these were kind of some of the beginning people that, that begin, began to do this. And there are just countless people that are in the church today because the, this music reached them. And, you know, I, I say all that is because, again, you know, and, and you hear these people, they're, they're older now, 
And they were so criticized by the church, right? They were criticized. And, you know, but, but then when the church began to see, um, you know, what was happening and, and kind of like, well, maybe there's something to this. And so, you know, we need to be very careful what we say God can't use, right? We need to be very careful because God, you know, again, here we see he can't reach the Gentiles. That's not, that's not in my playbook here, right? God, what are you doing? But yet God is doing something different, and God is doing something, again, because he's God. And just because something might look different than we are used to, it doesn't mean it's necessarily bad or wrong, all right? Oftentimes we quickly label as wrong. What, what we label as wrong may just simply be different than what we're used to. That's my point. Now, let me be clear <laughs> that there are times that we have to draw a line. Right? There are times when something is, 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 is wrong. It's, it's, you know, there's things that can creep into the church that have crept into the church that are not biblical. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what I, what I do want to get across again is just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong or bad. So just, you know, we got to make sure that we're not surprised when criticism comes. If you step, especially if you step out of the box or how something's always been done, because typically criticism will happen. And Peter here provides for us a model of how to handle and respond to the, the criticism from believers. And, you know, as I alluded to earlier, you know, Peter in his, again, I like to stop and just think about how far Peter has come at this point, right? And that gives us hope. I don't know about you. It gives me hope, <laughs> God is patient. Thank the Lord for that, right? Right, Michael? I mean, <laughs> he's patient. He's patient with us. And we see, you know, this is a very different Peter than the one that was called from the fishing boat. I think the old Peter would have probably just jumped in and started punching people and, you know, throwing people around and like, oh, you don't, you know, you want to go? But we see this maturity and we see what God, and again, the change that it had taken place. Instead of going, you know, Peter-esque, as I say, on his, his Jewish brothers, Peter takes a very different approach, and he calmly explains what took place. And he lays it out. And at the end of what he's saying, he gets to the most important part. Listen as we jump back in at verse 15. And it says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Isn't that a beautiful picture and a beautiful way to take them and their memory goes to that place where they didn't know what to expect. They just knew where they were supposed to be and that, that the comforter was promised. And the Holy Spirit showed up. And he went on and he said, I remembered the word of the Lord. That's, and he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I love this. I think we could all probably say this oftentimes. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who was I that I could stand in God's way? In verse 18, the response, when they heard these things, they fell silent. It's kind of like when Jesus and, you know, comes up to the woman who's about to be stoned by the, the religious leaders and again, he scribbles something in the sand. There's a lot of speculation of what it might have been. But suddenly, one by one, they just drop their, their stones and they walk away because they realize, like, I have no right to throw anything at this person because I'm a sinner myself. 
They fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And here I think some credit should be given to Peter's audience. Again, as the response in verse 18, it shows great humility by those who had, had, had brought criticism. You know, what started out as the criticism, suddenly they realized, you know what? You're right. In a very quick moment, they learn. <laughs> and they're like, we have no, no right to hold anything from the Gentiles. We see a willingness to accept that God is doing something new. Even something they may not have been comfortable with. And it, it probably went against everything that they had been taught about God and the order, really, of, of kind of how the world worked. I mean, they were Jews. And were again, raised in the Jewish law. And so this is all something, again, for us to consider. Is it possible, is it possible that when we immediately jump to think someone or something is wrong, that we may just be dealing with our, our feelings of discomfort, Right? You know, when you, you've been on this earth for a minute, you're going to experience things that sometimes, again, you're, you're uncomfortable with, and you're not sure. And we have to ask, are we open enough to what God is doing and that we have the humility to say yes to God and no to ourselves when the situation calls for it? You know, I remember when I was, um, I was probably about 16, I think, on a, a youth mission trip to inner city Detroit, right? Um, very eye-opening for me. I came from a pretty, you know, rural area, kind of like this. And so we're downtown Detroit, probably very similar to Chicago in a lot of ways. And, you know, we're going door to door and we, you know, would share, try to share the gospel or at least invite them to like a rally that night at a kind of a corner in a parking lot. But one of the things we did is we, uh, we had the opportunity to attend an inner city church and it, this was a gospel church, okay? This was a, um, I mean, it was at an old triple uh, X theater that had been converted um, and, you know, me and my, like, three buddies, you know, we were, we were the light guys in the room, all right? And it was very different. It was very different for me. I would not really, where I grew up, it just was kind of all, you know, Caucasian mostly. And, and so, you know, and then even the worship style was so different, right? Because these, I mean, they're getting down, they're, they're, they're running laps and stuff. And, and, and I'm like, I'm uncomfortable at this point. But then it was the coolest thing because as I sat there and I just said, you know, God, is this, is this you? You know, are you in this? And I suddenly I can't, the only way I can describe it is like just this, this peace. The peace of God just, just like filled me in that moment. And I was like, you know, this is different. <laughs> this is very different for me. But I sense God's presence in this place. And I suddenly found myself just smiling and, and really just kind of celebrating and jumping in and singing. I didn't make any laps. I didn't have time to stretch. But... Um, but it was, it was beautiful, you know, because it's just like you see. And, and so, you know, having now been around the world and been many different places, we just see how people worship God. And again, it's, it's different, you know, different cultures. But it's the same God and the same spirit there. And so, you know, again, that was something just amazing for me. And in that moment, I, I felt like I, I grew quite a bit spiritually just because I was like, you know what, God, I can't put you in a box. <laughs> You know, I mean, we, we see what God, who God is and what God does in, in the word of God. And, and again, don't get me wrong. We, we don't erase all the lines and everything. We, we have to have, again, some idea of, of what God is doing and, and where to kind of draw. Like, we're not going to go past this. But so many times it's just what our preferences are, right? 
So many times it's what we think is right. But if there's room, and, and there's a lot of room in the spirit, I think it's just it's incredible if we allow ourselves to go there. And so, you know, it all comes down to this. You know, some of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem had become a product of their tradition, right? A product of their tradition instead of a product of grace. And church, I want to challenge us today. I, I want to challenge, I challenge myself as well to not kind of fall into this, this you know, where we just... Do things because we've always done it, right? We have to always be saying, God, what are you doing? What are you doing now? How are you moving? What do we need to do? You know, and I think that's the beauty even of the early churches. It was not, um, they didn't have the luxury of having like a nice big structure, you know, where they just walked in and, and they did their thing. They were a lot of times in hiding. <laughs> they were on the run. They were in the wilderness. And wherever they were, they could just gather together and they'd have church, right? We are the church, Right? You are the church. I am the church. This building is not the church. It's a structure that we are, are privileged to meet in, and we're grateful for it. But praise God, as we found out a couple years ago in that parking lot right over there, when I stood up, and me and Luke, in the back of a pickup truck, we found out the church is mobile, isn't it? We can go anywhere we want to. I'm sure that wasn't in any of our traditional you know, sense of what, what's happened. But you know what? You adapt, and I love it. I love it, and I love the fact, you know, of where this church has come. I love the fact, you know, the, the experiences that Leanne and I and my family have had overseas where you just have to adapt to what's there. And it's like, you know, I don't really know you. You're kind of weird, but do you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Okay, let's do this, you know? And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So as we wrap up today, as we close... I want to just revisit verse 9 just for a moment. It says, But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. And the greater point here that I want us to see that God was making in this moment is not so much, wasn't dealing with food necessarily at all, but with people. Because the reality is, is every single person in this room at one point was called unclean because of our sin. And the point I want us to see here is, is once, again, we heard the good news of the gospel, and that's what this whole thing, it's pointing to the work of the cross. When we accepted that good news, and we said, Lord, come into my life. I repent of my sin and become Lord and Savior of my life. We were made clean. Amen? Not because of what we did or how great we are, <laughs> and probably not what we even do sometimes now, right? But thank God for the cross. And thank God for, for the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's pointing. This is pointing to you and to me. And so regardless, church, of, you know, we're going to receive criticism from time to time. We can always come back to that fact that we have been found accepted and made new in Christ Jesus. And let us never forget where we came from. Right? I think I mentioned that last week. We don't have to dwell there. It doesn't dictate our future. It doesn't dictate our present even. But let us not forget that it's, you know, it's only by the blood of Christ that we stand here today, accepted before a holy God. And when criticism does come, how you respond could very well lead to that person either praising God or the opposite. I can't tell you how many times I remember in the military, because everybody knew, you know, I was, I was a believer. I swear, it just attracted, it's like turning the light on and all the mosquitoes come, right? For their, their piece of blood or whatever. 
and they want to poke you and they want to see how you respond. And as you walk that out, they won't typically do it in public, but one of them would grab me on the side, you know, or we'd be out in a field exercise and we're stuck in a fighting position together, you know, sitting there staring at nothing. You know, it's just play, it's games, you know, we're just training. In the middle of the night, and then all of a sudden they just start dumping their life, you know, out to you. They start talking to you. And like, you know, my wife's leaving me, this and that, and I don't know what to do. And, and I have the privilege to share, again, the good news of the gospel and, and to pray with them, just to show them that, hey, I love you, you know. God loves you. We do have a part to play in that. And finally, we need to stand firm at times. But again, let's be sure what it is we are standing on and always have the person we are speaking to in mind. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the fact that that you chose to save people. (laughs) That's it. It's people. doesn't matter where we come from, what we've done, who we are. God, all that matters is who you are and what you've done. And so, God, we recognize today, Lord God, that we, we live in a time that seems to be more and more moving against, Lord, uh, what you have laid out for us as your best. And God, I pray for each person here today, I pray for each person joining us online, that, that you would, um, again, meet us, Lord, in that place of discomfort. And God, if there's something in us, Lord, in that moment, there's something just maybe where it's something different or something un- uncomfortable, but Lord, it is still, Lord, uh, of you. I-, I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that and, and just allow you to-, to work something new in us. And God, for those moments where we know that it is, uh, it is in direct opposition of, of you and of, of what scripture says, Lord, I pray you would give us the boldness to stand, but to do so in a way that shows the love of Christ to whoever's watching. Again, Lord, I feel like we, we live in a time now where anything goes and whatever a person feels like, that's, that's fine. But, Lord, we do know that, that you've laid out, again, your best and your will and your desire for our lives. So, God, I, I don't know every situation in this room today, but I know that you do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, again, meet these people where they are. If they don't know you, Lord God, I pray that they would truly uh, welcome just the, the great message, Lord, of the good news of the gospel. That you came to earth, that you, you walked this earth, and that you died for, for their sins, for my sins. And on the third day you rose again. So, Lord, just to recognize you as Lord and Savior, God, it changes everything. So, God, we thank you again just for last week and for this week, Lord. And again, really, it's our beginnings, Lord, as, as you, you broke on the scene, Lord, to the Gentile people. And so, God, we are counted as one of those. Uh, But again, most importantly, Lord God, we are counted in in the family of God today. And we are grateful for that and the work of the cross. Thank you for each one here and thank you for today.